Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and uh, joining me, uh, not the first overseas guest that we've ever had, but happy to welcome in Ollie Connolly, who I followed his work a while back. Somebody tweeted me. It's kind of funny, like how we get connected. Somebody tweeted me and said, you got to follow this guy. He does great football stuff. So he writes the newsletter, Read Optional, also the managing editor of Gridiron. What is up, Ollie? Great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So I've been following Gridiron and you guys tweet out clips of things you say. And of course, covering the Vikings, every time someone says anything about the Vikings, I go, oh, can I use that? Is that content? I see content. Uh, It's June, Ollie. So this is how life (laughs) is. But you did say something interesting about the Vikings that kind of matches up with each week. We've kind of had themes and this is time horizons week. So we've been going through quarterback futures, teams that could be Super Bowl contenders for this year. And I wanted to talk to you about teams in their Super Bowl window. But as teams sort of, you could put them in categories of different, uh, this team is a Super Bowl contender, boomer bust, this team is rebuilding, things like that. I wonder where you think the Vikings fit into this because when the general manager calls it a competitive rebuild, but doesn't do rebuildy things, I'm not sure exactly how to view them. Yeah, they, they're kind of trying to straddle that middle line where it seems as though they said they use, what, five of their first six six draft picks on defense, right? So they've said all that stale stuff at the end of the Zimmer era, we can correct that with new faces. They just got every athlete in the draft. Who's the quickest, longest, fastest person in the draft? We'll draft all those fellas and we'll figure the rest out from there. And then hopefully Kevin O'Connell can squeeze, what, five extra percent out of all those unbelievable pieces on offense. Hopefully they can get something more out of Cousins, I imagine, is, is their thought process. And given how watered down the NFC is, is as a whole, you can, as your first year as a staff and a GM head coach partnership, at least make the playoffs, which buys you probably two years in a market of saying, now if we decide we've got all those young guys on defense, we think two of them are legit, the other ones we'll, we'll, we'll discard along the way. Now let's go and really you know, figure out what we want to do a quarterback, which is the main thing. And we know we have these great offensive pieces, no matter what, at least two of them in Jefferson and Thielen. So... That seems to me what their timeline is. And it's it's kind of similar to what the, the crossroads Atlanta was at a year ago, where they could have either said, let's tear this whole thing down and trade Matt Ryan back then and trade Julio, which they did. Or you could say, let's go with one last ride with these guys and maybe spend some money. And they took that mid-ground, right? They, they traded Julio. They kept Matt Ryan. They tore everything down around Ryan. And it was a disaster because the team had no talent. The Vikings, at least, I believe, are in a position to, to kind of still take that middle ground because of where the NFC is at, um, because of their specific quarterback situation, the timeline of that contract is different than Ryan's, obviously, and any kind of trade there. So I I can imagine it being a frustrating one. You kind of want them to be in one category or another. Um, but it, it at least makes sense. I mean, I always admire a team that says, let's 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 have a crack at this, um, even with the, the guys still on the roster, as opposed to taking the easy path, which would have been the, the no one would have blamed them for the full teardown and rebuild. But then you're still looking at three years of trying to figure out exactly where you are. Yeah, I think it depends on how much you subscribe to the Ricky Bobby school of if you're not first, you're last, Um, (laughs) because that's something we talk about all the time is when you take the same route as the previous general manager, where there was a lot of people with great memes of like the one where you unmask the person and it's actually still Rick Spielman running all, you know, the team and calling all the shots. So when you don't go different routes aside from changing the head coach and you say, okay, well, a lot of it must've been Mike Zimmer's fault, or we're kind of in the same place. We just need to make the playoffs to kind of 
what ease the fan base's fears that you've sunk yourself into endless mediocrity. But the risk that they run is if you end up with the same results, then you're going to look at the coach and say, oh, I guess he wasn't the answer, right? And you're going to look at the roster and go, you signed short-term contracts for guys. Now you have to replace them. Like, how are you going to rebuild these spots if you don't have people who are developing into those positions that you would have, you know, either drafted or, you know, signed younger players to longer-term contracts? When you sign a Jordan Hicks or a Patrick Peterson, those are positions you have to replace later. So I think they've put themselves in a spot where they actually have to be very good. They should really be considered to be among those teams that are in sort of the last part of their window to win, even if we don't think that they're necessarily a Super Bowl contender. No, I agree with you. And I think it will be more what I mentioned before about trying to buy yourself three years by having the one good year where you get just before, you know, those legs are really creaking. All those guys you mentioned, it's pretty bad. Can you get them to week nine with enough wins where you buy yourself three years essentially to do what you really want to do? And, and I'm with you. They could have probably done more cosmetic surgery on the edges, I think, and took more punts on some younger players who, if they shine, then you get them on a cheaper second contract with you. That would have been maybe the smart move, but the league is in a funny place where we had kind of the the process came from Philadelphia and the NFL was like, let's try and replicate that. You saw that in Miami, you saw that with Cleveland. And then everyone sat around and said, well, the NFL is a bit different. And just kind of, if you look into it, Justin Herbert, you know, you, you can tank all you want and you end up with Tua. You can get to the great spot you want to get to, get the quarterback you want to get to. They tank for two years to get Tua. And then they look around and go, the other guy's the best player since Dan Marino to enter the NFL at 25, right? So it's just not the same sport. It's really a dart to the dartboard approach. And you cannot do that in one off season. So I admire them saying, put our heads down, get through one year. We know this offense is good enough to carry us probably to the postseason because the, the conference is so weak now. Um, that's the thing. You know, if, the if they were in the AFC, I think there would have been a race to a bottom type situation because the conference is so weak. We know this offense is good enough to probably get us to eight wins, as I said. Can we patchwork together something on defense by taking all these guys and then we can flip it the next year and go five there? And all of a sudden you look over, what would it be next season? I don't know, 15, 16 draft picks. And you say they took... They took uh, eight players on each side of the ball. <laughs> now that would be a very Rick Spielman type uh, <laughs> yeah. approach of taking as many players as possible. Although most of his would be in the sixth or seventh round. Um, so what you're kind of describing here, as far as the competitive rebuild is almost what Buffalo did when Sean McDermott got there. They actually stuck with Tyrod Taylor to start. They didn't move on from him immediately and start Nathan Peterman, though they tried to throw Peterman in at some point, which was very bizarre, and he threw like eight picks. Um, but they, they, they made the playoffs that first year, and then they drafted Josh Allen, and then they took a step back and had to build it up from there. I think it's an interesting point about trying to make the playoffs and be competitive and sort of endear yourself a little bit to the fan base to say, we do know what we're doing. We are competent. Now, can you trust us a little bit? Um, I, I guess that that almost feels like playing politics though, a little bit, because as opposed to living in reality and, and trying to appease an ownership, possibly that's always wanted to kind of be in that playoff race because living in reality feels like we've done this so many times. And I, you, you mentioned getting 5% more out of Kevin O'Connell Right. But like Kirk Cousins has been a very good version of himself over these past yep. few years. So where where would you see like best case scenario? Where does that five percent come from? 
I really don't know. You know, it's it's different talking, I guess, to a Minnesota specific show than when you try on the national media and you try and convince them that he's actually not the guy you see in the primetime games. If you go and watch him in week three, you know, he's really, really good in spots. I don't know where that 5% is. I really don't. I, that would not be cousin specific. That has to be to do with the offensive line. That has to be to do with, I, I think, um, a more malleable run game um, as opposed to the same old, same old, which was kind of what they got their last the last couple of seasons and that would be where O'Connell I think could shine so you'd be looking at things separate from Cousins that maybe would then would have the knock-on effect of backing up the coverage which then you know would make things easier for him the play action all that stuff squeezing five percent out of him purposefully that's you probably maximized that last season I'd say and it's not been good enough that I fully get that the alternative though is just to do the teardown then what you're purposely winning four or five games I'm not sure what the the point of that really is I, I really believe in the NFL and I think the NBA to be fair where the this kind of idea of the purposeful teardown, we've seen that building good habits is real. You know, it, purposely having a losing culture hangs around for a long time. People start saying, I'm not going to practice today. If you can build really good habits, if the whole only thing that comes out of this season is that Lewis sign can be a really good post safety. That's what that, what's wrong with that? that. That seems like a good year. You win eight games, whatever you take another swing in the draft and you try and find a quarterback or you, you, I, I do think there's a thing here too where we see what happens with the veteran market and Lamar Jackson's not signed his new deal. I know Minnesota might not be the top of QB's preference list, right? If we were drawing up now for where they want to live and play football. But this idea of having an almost Denverish type vibe where you prove that you have something to hold on to. You go to a, a superstar and say, we've got Justin Jefferson, man. That's the best receiver in the NFL. Look at what our OCU came from that McVeigh stuff. Look how good he is at game planning this stuff when he's the top guy. Our defense, look how young and fast that is. Those guys are going to be really good in year two. You can see a world in which if I'm looking at any roster in the league now where you could microwave excellence in the second year with this group, I do think Minnesota is the one because if those defensive guys are good and you have the room to maneuver by getting out of all those aging players for the second year, I think it's, I think there's, the path is in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, so it is easy for you to say, hey, if you win eight games and your first round draft pick was good, that's good for you. Not so easy for the fan base who's dealt with four years of expectations where it's been Super Bowl or bust to get back to the playoffs. And they've won one playoff game after having one of the most expensive quarterbacks in the NFL coming off an NFC championship in 2017. Like there's a lot of misery that's built up over these past four years. And that's one of the things about being a new coach of this team for Kevin O'Connell, where he's coming in saying, Hey guys, like, I guess if I make the playoffs, that's pretty good. Right. And everyone's like, dude, we have been through this so many times <laughs> you, you don't understand. And then when you don't overhaul it all, you, you set the expectations at a different spot because I think that the fan base would have been okay with taking that step back, which didn't have to mean tank, by the way, like you bring up no, the no. Philadelphia process with Justin Jefferson, you can't really tank. It would have just meant moving on from the cousins contract bringing in someone like Jameis Winston or Mariota, doing what Denver did with Teddy Bridgewater, having that bridge quarterback. But I do think that's a great example. And I was just writing about this today, and I wonder what you think about it. I was going through the quarterbacks who might be available next year. My God, there's a lot of them. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz is basically on a one-year one deal. Daniel Jones, Tua. There's all sorts of people who could end up being out there. I feel like it's the new NFL to, to not really commit yourself quarterback wise. And I think the Vikings didn't really do that with the very short term extension, but to not commit yourself and build up a roster to where you can be the team that some really good quarterback says, Hmm, maybe I want to go join that team. 
No, I agree that, like you said, they've got too many good players to tank. I think what you're raising is a good point is not trimming the fat either as a tone setter on some of the guys who were really creaking by the end of the Zimmer era and were so considered as, whether that's true or not behind the scenes, as loyal Zimmer guys. They've been through all the battles and maybe it would have been time, I think, to move them on. Guys like a Patrick Peterson, I don't know what the point of that deal is, right? The Jordan Hicks one you mentioned, you committing money to a one-down player in the NFL in 2022 as a new forward-thinking GM makes no sense to me. You can find those guys week three of preseason, right? There's hundreds of them roaming out there who can play down for you in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I, that stuff doesn't make much sense to me. But if they want to, as you said, position themselves to be in these sweepstakes for the quarterbacks, and you mentioned those guys there, you wouldn't call those super-duper stars. I wouldn't. I don't think any of those guys are better than Kirk Cousins um, in terms of uh, talent for talent but that are going to be superstars also if Lamar does not sign that deal as an example, right? And then what are the knock-on effects of if Lamar goes to wherever he would wind up going to, let's say um, Kyler not signing his deal and all that stuff, right? There's, there's going to be players a level above even what we're talking about there that will be available and then just having ammunition to move up in the draft, that would be the other thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I get what you're saying. Like it, it must be, it is like the definition of insanity, right? The, the cliche of they are just banging your head against, well, okay, so we're going to do a one and done in the playoffs again. What is the point of this? You almost would like to have a, a new set of guys, come in, a new brain trust say, trust us guys, this is three years. We think we can really build a foundation this year and it'll be in three years. Don't worry, we're moving on from Kirk. We know that's not good enough. And it is kind of frustrating to have them, I imagine, acknowledge we know this isn't good enough so let's just do the not good enough for a bit and then we'll try and figure out down the line but i I, genuinely making that leap from being pretty good to champion is easier than going through the rebuild to try and build to a champion unless you hit on joe burrow that's the only example you can find of saying we were terrible we drafted joe burrow he made us great That, that that's the only one and there's you know i love will levis i love this 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 uh this year of quarterbacks coming who will be coming into the next draft but trying to find one who's got that joe burrowness is is not easy yeah i think what everybody's trying to emulate is a team like kansas city now like mahomes mahomes but they were good before with alex smith they had built a good roster they had a very good coach and i agree with you that establishing all of those things is extremely important when you throw rookie quarterbacks into garbage situations i think it really affects them unless they are super super superstars but even trevor lawrence this great prospect struggled a lot last year with that clueless situation with urban meyer so i do agree with you that you cannot have a garbage fire of a franchise and just be like hey qb1 all yours my friend um but i also think there was a world where they could have kept one foot in and one foot out but they didn't really do that and so like you're saying with patrick peterson and his deal it's like competitive rebuild actually sounds okay but where's the rebuild part? And yeah, I think that's, yeah. that is the frustrating part about talking about this, this off season is it's sort of like with Quasi Adafo Mensa, where I've said before, like, where's the analytics? Like, when do we get to see those? You mentioned the draft, but there weren't like these analytical moves where you would see the PFF people like celebrating. Oh my gosh, they did this thing that we've wanted them to do. It was more like sort of status quo. And I guess what I wonder from you, and I also want to talk about some other teams who are in there like hardcore window to win but i guess i wonder from you like should we be patient on this because it was a new gm just having to drop in and sort of quickly figure it all out or is this sort of like well it might not be as different as everybody wanted it to be i mean i would be patient i i love what they did in the draft and i know what you're saying about 
not necessarily being all the top PFF guys, but his job is not to, you know, browse PFF and click right, everyone's right, top right. of the big board. You know, he, right. he, he'll have his own vision for the game. I, I think what he, they tried to do with the draft was get right on at the right point of the evolutionary cycle of the league, right? It was a lot of hybrid players. Lewis Sign was the most essential. He was the keystone of that great Georgia defense. The whole structure falls apart if he is not as special as he is, as essentially a low post defender, without a high post, right? That's it's insane what they were running there, right? But it only works if he's as special as he is compressing the middle of the field as being the robber, essentially, in coverage and not being the deepest defender. That is really unorthodox to, to do at any level of football. And he's the guy who made that whole thing sing. So you take him, that's really good. Booth is a wonderful long shot, right? He's got all the measurables. I don't know if he can play football, but if you're doing a competitive rebuild, well, they've got Patrick Peterson, who they know can play football, but the legs might not be there. Let's go get the guy with the legs who we don't know if, if the football is going to be there. So I, I like him taking massive swings. Asamoa, I was not as big on him as some other people, but it's a completely different body type than what a lot of the league is running with, where you could you could easily see where in three years he's out of the league, right? Can't play the run. Or he is like the new mold of everyone wants themselves and as a most. That's just another giant swing of bleep it. We've no one's got pressure on us necessarily. Let's go take a swing on one of these guys. So I think they're jumping right on the right evolutionary track of kind of where the Cardinals are at now defensively, but their players aren't that good and trying to see where they can emulate that model, whereas in three years, they can morph as well as anyone while staying in the two deep safety stuff, which is now the invoke part of the league. What you have to do is be able to be basically pretty solid on the back end these days, where we went through this era of the back end moving a lot, and the front didn't change a lot. Now we're changing the front, and we're keeping the back end steady, and their draft points to to that of being a quarters deep team where they move the front a ton. That would be exciting to me. That would get me excited as a fan. I'm a nerd, I know that, but that, that, that gets me excited from the outside, the question is how what will the offense look like long term when they get off the, the cousins train, I guess. Folks, want to remind you to go to sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Use the promo code Purple Insider for 15% off your purchase. It is summertime. It's baseball season. They have all sorts of great Minnesota baseball gear. And if you are prepping for training camp, get your Purple People Eaters shirt, your Can't Stop the Thielen hat, and all sorts of other great football designs. Go there, sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. Right, right. And that a lot depends on Justin Jefferson and also how long Adam Thielen can play at a high level. Because last year, before he got hurt, he was playing well in terms of his number of catches per game, but yards per route run and things like that had really sunk for him. And I don't think he's a downfield threat anymore at this point, uh, which is why I was kind of advocating the idea of a wide receiver in the draft. They traded out of that. But everything you said about Lewis Seen, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that rebuilding your defense from the back end to try and stop the pass is the way you need to go. It's just with like this situation also didn't really play well to them with no quarterbacks in the first round, except for Kenny Pickett. And that's not a guy that was a good enough prospect to want to go all in on. So they kind of got caught in the middle there, but I agree with you that I don't think it would be the right idea to say, well, they did a lot of the same stuff. So if they only win nine games this year, it's just completely blown up and you'll never win. 
It's just that you want to, you wanted to see them get some players, I think in free agency, as opposed to older guys to fill spots, guys who might've been good down the road. And instead it was like, okay, well, here's your kind of spot filler and whatever else that you're going to have to replace in the future. And then you also left uncertainty with cousins. It wasn't an all in five-year contract, but it wasn't a, Hey, this is absolutely the last year of cousins. So I kind of view it as they're on four-year contracts, uh, Adafo Mensa and O'Connell, which is short by NFL standards. It's almost like the first two years you get a chance to win with Kirk. And the next two years, you are going to be rebuilding a lot of this and you have to show that you're going to win with the next guy. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, or at least show us the plan after year one, I guess. You tell us after year one, is the plan to roll with him again? Are you in? Or what is going to be the plan for? We do the sit of the rookie for one year, hopefully, and or we, we take a big swing on the trademark or we do the following one. The Kirk one is the, it's the most frustrating one and the most understandable one because we can all sit here and say, not good enough to take you to the Super Bowl. The classic is the line, right? Not good enough to take you there. Good enough to take you to the playoffs. What do we do? Um, well, in an ideal world, I'd give them a two-year contract. Okay, great. That's what they did. It's like, uh, well, who do we moving on to? Like you said, well, we're in a draft with Kenny Pickett. If we were in the draft with the year of Rosen and there was the five guys, I know some of those turned out to be terrible, but there was five of them. There was Josh Allen, there was Rosen, all of them. Then you take the quarterback. So it's they just got caught in a hard spot on that one. Uh, where I would say from uh, the outside, you'll be disappointed from a team-building perspective is when you get that first off-season, you can just do whatever you want, essentially, because there's just zero pressure why would you not go for guys, the second team guys who flamed out somewhere, who you never know what you're going to get? And maybe Miles Jack comes in, right? He's been bad for two years. Big name has been terrible for two years in Jacksonville. That was a terrible situation. There's no talent around him. Why would you not bring him in and say, let's see after six weeks if it works? If not, no money, let him go. If it works, great. We've got a value steal. We sign him to a better contract. We know he fits with what we want to do. Why they went more veteran, as opposed to trying to get the second contract, second team flamed out here before, guys. That is puzzling to me. And that's where I thought with the new brain trust coming in and having this kind of, um, you know, from the Browns tree, that would be what they would look to do, which was to take swings on those 26 or 28 athletic prime guys and see if they could get anything out of them moving forward. Or do the classic thing of, all right, who's got a bust first round draft? <laughs> Always, we will yeah. take that. That's like the Chiefs thing of like, were you a bust first round draft? <laughs> play for the Chiefs. Um, yeah, I, and you know, if the thing about moving on from Kirk, the one benefit would have been that you just would have had more money to spend to sign people to long term contracts. Like the one contract I would say is a good one is probably Harrison Phillips. I don't think he's a game changer of any kind, but he's a young-ish player, a young-ish free agent that you could say, hey, let's give you like five more mil than these other teams, but let's make sure this contract takes you through two, three years. So you're helpful right away. And then later when we're really ready to win, you're also still here under a decent contract. Um, I think that taking that route maybe would have been a little more helpful than spending. Like I was looking at, and I know maybe he didn't want to sign here. I don't know, but like DJ Reed was 26 or maybe 27 years old. And you bring in Peterson instead. It's like, well, if you had the money from moving on from Kirk and you had Mariota, even though he can't win either, it's like, well, your, your team's not going to be trash. And Justin Jefferson's not going to hate his life. He's going to get the football, but you have some other players that you were able to spend money on. That was kind of part of my logic of if you move on from cousins and create that 35 million, you can give that to other people who can be long-term parts of this. 
No, I, I, I agree with that. And I love DJ Reed as a player. That would have been a really smart pickup and was a smart pickup. I can't believe he went for that price. It was really, really staggering. And you could have took a swing. Marcus Williams, I've been writing about him until recently. The best free safety in the league was out there. That was not a big deal that Baltimore gave him because no one wants to pay, play, pay free safeties. You could have got, gone and got him. You could have had seen and then you would have been happy days. We've got our safety set for the next four years. Let's go find a quarterback. That there are a bunch of different paths they, they could have taken. I would have personally been out of the Kirk thing because I'm just not down with the, I know I don't like my quarterback and coming into work every day will be really stressful if you just know that you're looking at him every day like, you know, I want to move on from you in two years. <laughs> what are we doing here? What is this fake pretense? Um, but the options were just so limited. You could do the Mario to thing, I guess, but... I don't know, by week four, week five, I think you would also be regretting that. It's also not fun to lose every week, right, right. coming into work. So it's a tough one. I, I think they're in a fine spot. I really do. And that kind of staggering of contracts with the way that the, the teams and the players are working together now, you could do that You could do that in week eight of this year if you wanted to go and redo the deal and stagger the, the deals in some way. So I think they'll be fine. And I also I don't think this is the end of their roster, right? We've seen... If these are smart guys, which they're purported to be, right? This is a smart brain trust. That's what we keep hearing. Well, then, if you're looking around and the rest of the league is in bleep the picks mode, then why would you not like the Thielen situation? What is value for Thielen? If you're not so sure about the legs going beyond the Kirk Cousins era, why would you not say, look, let's get out of this for a three or a two or a three that becomes a two by week seven if there's a contender out there? So if I was them, I would be hoarding those veteran guys purely with the intent of saying at week eight, picking the phone up and saying, let's let's have a little bit of a have a shopping spree here and see what we can get for going into the off season. Right. If you end up in that spot though, where you're selling off veterans by week eight, man, then, then things went pretty wrong for Kevin O'Connell. Right. So it's like, well, I mean, I, it depends what, what their dynamic is and what their trust level is. How much would they miss a Patrick Peterson? If they gave up, if they gave him up for fourth, whether, how much does that make them win, lose games? The Pats let go of Stefan Gilmore last year. They sat him down all the year. They let him go and, had no material impact on their season, went to the Panthers and left in for agency. So there are ways to game that system, I think, without it having a real material impact on you. I mean, if, if it's as simple as, are you winning the Super Bowl this year by week eight and you know you're not going to? It, Thielen is not going to change the odds. And you could still make the playoffs without him and get the, go and get a third round pick, let's just say that's the value. And then you'd have to weigh up as a staff, well, if we didn't want to have him beyond this year anyway, that price tag, let's go do it. I, I think you can win and move off some veteran pieces. So you and I think a lot of the same way as if like, it doesn't matter if it's realistic, but should you be doing it anyway? And I, like, I think with something like that, if they are even at 500 ownership would not give the thumbs up to trade veteran players because they'd be saying, well, we want to make the playoffs. You can't get rid of that guy. But I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that if you were to trade off some of the veteran players at that point, that I mean, even they have Cam Bynum as their third safety, who's a good player, or at least looks that way um, from a small sample size from what we saw last year. If there's a team that's desperate for Harrison Smith and you're 500, you should absolutely be doing that. I just know that they won't. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we saw that even a couple of years ago, they were one in five and they still didn't trade everybody. They traded Yannick Ngakwe because he wanted to go. But aside from that, they didn't trade anybody and they tried to take a run at the playoffs because they got a win against Green Bay to go to two and four, two and five or whatever. Like it's just classic sort of football stuff, but it's hard to convince super rich people that you're not going to do everything you can for the playoffs. And I think that's where there's always this, you know, bit of headbutting. Um, but I want to ask you about some other teams it, that are in their like last legs of winning window. And to me, that starts with the Packers, the Rams, 
and uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, unless Brady could play till he's 50, <laughs> maybe. But um, I thought he said it at like age 38, like I want to play till 50. And you're like, all right, clown, whatever, man. And then like, here he is. Um, which of those teams, though, if I gave you a hundred of my dollars and you got to bet it, or how would you split it up? You don't have to bet it on one team. How would you split it up? If I gave you a hundred bucks and I said, you have to use this hundred, I'll give you a ones, twenties and fives, and you can bet it on those three teams. How would you split up your money? I can't believe I have to do math. This is going to be a real oh, problem. I, I don't know what it is in UK <laughs> dollars. Euros? Um, so euros? I, I would you call it quib. Quid. Right? We do call it quid. quid. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Um, I, I've just done this this uh, preview annual. So I've been through all the teams in excruciating detail. So we're in the, the dead of the offseason. I am just it's overflow with takes like nobody's business because I've just had to write all these team reports for hundreds of pages. Um, I, I kept coming back to, you know, I, I really dislike when there is like a national pick that everyone expects. Like last year, it was the LA LA Super Bowl, right? And I always try and cut against the grain. Like, no, real football people know the Bills are better than those teams. And you do stuff like that. And I keep looking at the Rams going, I cannot believe how good they are. I assume that everyone had to leave. <laughs> the The whole point of the strategy was they all arrived for a year. They won the thing. They all waved on the, on the, the buses and then they were never to be seen again. And that's not really what happened. <laughs> they are so unbelievably stocked. And I don't know why they would have any kind of drop off. If anything, they would get a bit better because some of those guys who were bit part players last year, when they, they really coalesced down the stretch of the season, they, they didn't figure out who they were defensively until the very latter part of the season. And that was Von Miller independent. He just happened to be an unbelievable player. So I, I don't see how they wouldn't be great again. The Packers one is tough because I think they're so I, I think they're now championship good enough on defense where they could carry a decent team to a championship. I think that, that defense is that good. And then obviously the offense is okay because it's got Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. So but then I still just don't know about recreating Devontae Adams in the aggregate. You cannot recreate or replicate what that guy did for that specific system. Um, in one off season with those players they've signed. So I, I'm less, I, the Packers scream to me of another, get into the playoffs, tons of hype. And then they just, it all goes wrong <laughs> on one night and they're out of the thing. The books, the, uh, what reason is them for their, them not to just roll again um, outside of Todd Bowles and not him, not uh, managing the time well enough between being the game planner on defense and doing all the head coach nonsense of booking the travel and approving who's on the flight and all the stuff that those guys have to deal with picking the right tackle when you don't really want to, because worse goes down, you know, all that stuff that he just wants to be in a room game planning defense. Uh, so I, I think, th think those three are still the prohibitive favorites comfortably, but I just keep coming back to the Rams. I know we've not had a back-to-back -back, what's it's the Pats so three or four, whenever it was, but they, they, they are just so unbelievably loaded. I thought they would all leave and they did not. And I, I know that they will. We, we just know right now that there'll be two more guys there by week 10 that are not there now that'll probably be great players. Uh, the uh, cap doesn't exist, people. Getting <laughs> really excited about everything you're saying there. It does, folks. They'll pay for this eventually, just not today. Um, it's, uh, and it's, not when those guys are still there. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Not when anyone cares. Yeah. You know the minute that all that hits the fan McVay's going to be like same with Sean Payton <laughs> yeah. you, know, uh, you know I just feel like it's time for a life change I'm going to go work for Amazon Prime for 68 <laughs> million a year or whatever um, but you know I think all of them have a great case but how are you spreading my money around so I'd go 60 Rams wow okay yeah I think that they are better on, I think they have the cleanest roster both sides of the ball that you mm -hmm. just know what you're getting from both of them I have questions about um 
Tampa secondary. Mm-hmm. And then I have questions about what that Packers offense looks like in the postseason. They just don't have the, you do need a game breaker on offense in the postseason. I know that people think you can scheme your way there. It's different when it's Tom Brady and it's all clicking and it's New England and it's Belichick. It's different than anyone else has ever done it in the modern era, which is you need a game breaker unless you discover the RPO before the league realizes the RPO exists. Right. Those are the two paths to winning in the postseason. And I just don't see, well, they just don't have a, a pure outside game breaker that demands coverage so that it makes life easier for everyone else which that is what they need yeah i also think that you need like three three not game breakers but three dudes who are really good and so they got sammy watkins sammy watkins as your third wide receiver or second wide receiver in kansas city depending on what you call travis kelsey uh but if he's your second or third option you're like pretty that's great he could beat richard sherman off the line of scrimmage once and make a big play but and if you're going to him all the time, I mean, we kind of saw that in Buffalo where they wanted him to be the guy and it just didn't really work out. And so then you're bringing in rookies too and asking them to play with Aaron Rodgers, who as uh, everyone knows is super easy for everyone to play with and to get on the same page with. He, you know, he's never been problematic at all in this area. Just seems like it's sort of, it. you know what it screams? It screams 98 receptions for Randall Cobb or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just, and they're all eight-yard passes. So I, I agree that I think that, that is, uh, that's a shortcoming of theirs. And this is why I would, I would also go with the Rams here because I feel like they just have weapons on weapons on weapons and an offensive line that is replacing Andrew Whitworth with another good tackle. So time to throw, lots of open wide receivers, McVay like this is not really changing and their defense could actually probably improve a little bit from last year where they were in the regular season yeah the big thing for them on offense you know all these wide zone then boot guys who became the info guys right the wide zone was back with Shanahan and McVay they've all moved on they realized defense said cool all right got that we're going bare front we're going too deep happy days we can shut that down now and so they all had to change and Shanahan said I'll draft Trey Lance um, and McVay said, I'm going to go super spread. They don't run the wide zone, then boot more. It's super spread football. It's basketball on grass. It's Stafford getting the ball out to five wide. And they built this really unorthodox, intricate, cool, two-tiered passing system, which was really impressive last year. Now, that's the way he clearly wants it to go because they used to have Robert Woods, right? And that was a tight end, running tight end routes dressed in a wide receiver's body. That's how they use Robert Woods, and it freaked teams out. Now he's gone super spread. He's right. I'll ditch Robert Woods, and I'll sign Alan Robinson. And he can play in the post on one side and we'll have Cooper Cup and three receivers to the other side. So we'll win through play design on one side. And if we don't win through play design, we'll throw it to the big fella on the outside who's bigger and can box everyone else out. And probably they'll sign Odell Beckham before the season starts. Mm-hmm. He'll probably be back there on a cheapish deal. And I just don't know when they're humming like that. now. And that took them time to figure out last year too. That didn't really click. They had a really good start to the year. Then he ditched all his traditional stuff and put a new system in place basically. And it really got clicking by the end of the year. So on both sides of the ball, as good as they were last year, and they were really good by the time the playoffs rolled around, I think they will be better to start this year. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple of teams. Um, and then I've got a quick game for you at the end. But um, the uh, teams like Arizona and Dallas, I just don't really know what to do with them. Like as far as placing teams into categories of their windows, because Dallas has a lot of young ish players or young players in Micah Parsons case or CD lamb who are really good. And it feels like they have a wide open window for a couple of years. As soon as they maybe move on from their head coach Uh, and Arizona's in a weird spot though, because even if your quarterback is good, as soon as you pay him, it becomes 
very difficult to sustain the level of roster. And if we're being honest on defense, especially, they just don't have a great roster on defense. So everything has kind of got to be the Kyler Murray show. They make a panicky trade for Hollywood Brown. Like, I guess I feel like these teams are sort of floating around in existence of being relevant and probably good and competitive, but not in that same category of where I'd say, boy, this is their year. Yeah, the Cardinals one is a mess. Um, And it screams of by week six, they throw Vance Joseph under the bus for the fact that they ripped the defense apart. What was already a, a part that they had purposefully not addressed any level of the defense, really. I know they, people think they spent all that stuff on linebackers. They did that in the first round, and they just ignored the rest of the, the roster. He, he scotch tapes together a really creative, cool unit, and they say, thanks for that, Vance. We're taking everyone else away now, and we're going to trade a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown, and everything we do is putting more assets into the fact our quarterback is acting like a mopey teenager every day. So we need him to not be moping. So now we're going to blame you in week six when this all goes to crap, and we're going to have to fire someone. I'm sorry. That seems to be the message of the offseason. They have no pass rush, right? They have Marcus Golden and J.J. Watt, two really good players when healthy. They are never healthy anymore. Mm-hmm. So that that's a real problem. And you can move and be creative and spin safeties and you know, put linebackers in all different spots as much as you want. But if you have no pressure, the whole thing's a wrap, particularly when your cornerback room is like theirs is. And even on offense, you know, they that is a team that says we want to play one-on-one football at the NFL level. Um which is not sustainable, hence the, the second half of the year drop-off he has because everyone in the NFL is a good athlete. To our athlete people in the NFL, you need D-hop, and then you need a second D-hop, right? And they've lost Hopkins, what is it, six, eight weeks? I can't remember. Six, yeah. Marquise Brown cannot separate from coverage. People still, I, I really believe people have not watched Marquise Brown since Gus was screaming Hollywood in Oklahoma, <laughs> and they think he's that guy. He's never been that guy in the NFL. He's not been a game-breaker in the NFL. You have to have such outrageous speed like Tyree Kill to be that in the NFL. He just hasn't been that guy. So, And then to re-sign Zach Ertz, who that, that boggles my mind, re-sign James Conner, and it's like, you played one-on-one football with these guys last year. It wasn't good enough. Why would you say, let's roll this whole thing back and then panic trade, like you said, for a guy from Baltimore, who Baltimore is happy to let go. (laughs) Their only concern there was their own mopey quarterback, was will he be upset with trading his friend? That was the the call of the conversation was, we want to save our mopey quarterback. Let us check with our mopey quarterback. It's okay to (laughs) trade this bad player. It's unfathomable to me. So the Cardinals one, I think, has a chance to be really rough this season. But then their quarterback is so special, Mm -hmm. they will win nine games because the NFC is awful. And he's that good and he'll save everyone's job. Yeah. And I have no idea what to do with San Francisco, by the way, because we have no idea what Trey Lance is going to be. And just because Nick Mullins can average eight yards a pass attempt, Kyle Shanahan doesn't mean that Trey Lance is automatically going to be a great quarterback. And last year, I don't think there was enough there to really be able to pick up on. You're moving away from Jimmy Garoppolo. That's kind of up in the air. Uh, Dallas is the other one that I just want to ask about because I feel like that's a very it would be a very good situation if it wasn't Mike McCarthy, where we would be saying, look at this roster. They could be great for like four years with the players that they've built up on, especially through the draft and finding some other nice players. Former Viking J Ron curse was playing a big role for them uh, last year. That was a good find for them, but the McCarthy thing holds me back from ever thinking that they'll be able to go anywhere. Oh yeah. Their championship winner was last year. That roster was outrageous. Uh, You know, Everyone knows the receivers, three number one receivers, two great tight ends, six linemen. They played with six linemen regularly because they were like, these six are really good. <laughs> Can we get them on the field all the time? Two running backs. 
a quarterback running Peyton Manning system at a Peyton Manning level. That does not happen. That's very lucky. Oh, and the defense is now really good after being a disaster zone the year before. That was the window. You lose Randy Gregory. You lose pieces on the back end. You lose the third receiver. It's just they were so overwhelmingly good last year, and it fell so short. I don't know why they would magically be better when they lost the thing that made them special last year, which was quality depth. They, that's not a deep roster this year. And last year, not only did it have all the super-duper stars, everyone knows the second guy off the off the depth chart was also unbelievable that's why they could go weeks where you didn't realize Lawrence wasn't playing because they had Randy Gregory and Mike Parsons now they need all those guys to be healthy all season they've never shown they can do that with all those guys one of those guys in every position group is missing basically every week including the quarterback and now the backups aren't anywhere near as good as they were last year and I just think it's unfair to expect Dan Quinn can take that group to that level and then maintain that the defensive football doesn't work like that it's never stable year to year Mm -hmm. And offensively, they fell off so massively. You know, they became predictable. It became a, not quite a gimmick-based offense, but once Dak got hurt, all their explosives came essentially off gimmicks. So then now you're wondering about the health of the quarterback and whether the quarterback run game is a viable thing, which they kind of need it to be at least a little bit. So, yeah, th- that one's not for me. And then that one is another one. You know, you mentioned Sean Payton before. I mean, what week is it going to be where they elevate Dan Quinn to head coach? You know, it should, pro- right. yep. it should probably be today. Let's just get it done. Let's get out of the way, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that it's amazing how quickly it changes where one year you think, well, we were great last year. We just need to fix X, Y, and Z, or this will be better. But then all of a sudden Philadelphia's coming for you and Washington, as much as I don't trust Carson Wentz, they won seven games with Taylor Heineke. Like they have a good roster and they're coming for you. And now the giants might not be coached by the worst coach in the league, not named Erwin Meyer. Like uh, things change really quickly. Uh, So here's the game. Uh, Ali, tell me, first of all, what year it was that you remember football? Like, what was the first year that if you thought back in your brain, okay, I remember this season or that Super Bowl or whatever it might be? Well, it's certainly not Super Bowl. I can't remember the year. Someone can fact check this. I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article about a quarterback who won a game on a broken leg. And it was a quarterback at Nice High School who snapped his leg and then ran a quarterback drawing for the winning touchdown. And that quarterback was Tim Tebow. Wow. Nice high school. Yeah. How about that? So that's my first football memory. And I was reading this thing in a hotel in Boston going, what is this thing? And I love everything about this. That This guy (laughs) who was 16 cared this much about it. We did not care that much about sports (laughs) where I was from. I was like, yeah, no, I need to know everything about this game from this point forward. So that would be the first memory. Okay. That's amazing. Uh, I'm glad I asked. Well, the, uh, the, the game is that I'm going to tell you a franchise and I want you to tell me the first quarterback you remember, and then we can talk about it. Okay. So uh, let's go with Kansas city chiefs. Who was the first quarterback that that you remember as the QB of the chiefs? Kyle Orton. Kyle Orton. (laughs) Was was he, he was a chiefs quarterback. I think so. Did he not wear eight for the chiefs? Was that only Denver? Very possible. Now we, now we have to look this up. What a great poll. He did. I don't know if I've ever told the Kyle Orton story on the show, but uh, Kyle Orton was, I think he might have. Uh, yes. Number eight. Look at you. There you go. What year was that? That would have been 2011. Okay. Wow. And how about this for you? This is why we play this game because he started three games and he won two of them. So I even, <laughs> I, as a fan of journeyman backup quarterbacks, didn't even remember him playing three games <laughs> for Kansas city. So uh, I worked in Buffalo before I moved to Minnesota to cover the Vikings and Kyle Orton was their quarterback in 2014 because EJ Manuel started, then got benched and Kyle Orton at the, 
after the final game of the season, they went in for like the post game interview quarterback always talks and Orton said, I'm retiring. And that was it. <laughs> and that was it. Or it was like lock and clean. I'm the next day. He just said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this interview. I just retire. And he never played again. And I've never seen him in the media. Yet. <laughs> I've never seen him again either. He would no. have some great stories. He does not have to face the earth. I just want to ask him about that decision where he was just like, at, he told the radio play-by-play guy, like at his locker, Hey, can you go tell everyone I retired? And the play-by-play guy came on the radio and said, uh, guys, Kyle Orton just retired. It's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he just did what now? Uh, how about the Houston Texans? Uh, well, that's a tough one because in my I remember playing. Do you remember the the coach, the Madden coach game you could play on PC? Oh yes, yeah. Yep. I played that the the year that that game came out was you had the first pick in the draft. You played the Texans. I would just play every day and you just do the draft. The game was uh-huh. so horrible of playing the games. Uh, yes, yes. The only fun part was signing the players and doing the draft. I would wake up every morning and I would just debate between drafting Vince Young or not like that's what I was doing (laughs) so in my head I want to say David Carr but I can't remember actually watching him but he's he would be the the one back that I remember yeah David Carr but the thing is that I'm not sure anyone's actually seen a David Carr football game that's the thing it's like he was watching those expansion team games yeah if you ask someone describe what David Carr looked like as a player well they could say well he got sacked a lot because I've looked at his pro football reference page but you're like but what did he look like <laughs> I never saw a game um Sage Rosenfels comes on the show all the time so of course my first Texans quarterback <laughs> yeah. Sage Rosenfels Matt Schaub would be another possibility great for one you. yeah um, Matt Schaub won a ton of games man <laughs> yeah he did yeah <laughs> he won a ton of games Gary Kubiak and the boots just running mm. the boots over and over again. How about, um, let's see here. How about, uh, would would Carolina be, would that be Cam for you? How about Detroit? No, Carolina would mean Derek Anderson. Oh, Detroit, Derek Anderson. Detroit okay. would probably be, it would, would it be Stafford? I definitely, I mean, I was obviously covering the game before Stafford, but my mind is blank about who was exactly playing, <laughs> lining up for those that the 0 and 16 season. Maybe def- uh, John Kitna or. Oh, Kitna is, yeah. yes. Joey that, Harrington. That's the pull. Harrington, that's another good pull. And um, Drew Stanton and Drew Henson. Drew Henson. Yeah, Tom um, Brady's the starter at Michigan yeah, before Brady got there. Played, yeah, like I remember him a little bit for Dallas getting in football. Yeah. Drew Henson. I saw Drew Henson as a triple A baseball player playing third base. For the, this is when he was the biggest star in the <laughs> in the world afterwards. Yep. Yeah. For the Scranton was he gonna play for the Yankees? Yes, Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees yeah. where I saw him. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. That's why it's a great game. It's who was playing quarterback for back in the day? Well, uh, let me see here. Few people could follow you on Twitter at uh Ollie Connolly, which is O-L-L-I-E Connolly. And um also you're the managing editor at Gridiron, but also your newsletter, Read Optional. Um is a is a must subscribe so really great to get together with you this was a lot of fun i'm glad we could have this conversation and now since your camera is weirdly zoomed in super close i feel like we're close oh we're very close now we could not possibly have our faces virtually closer (laughs) thanks a lot i really appreciate it thank you anytime